So this week we continue looking at the, the fruit of the Spirit and, um, and focusing on what, what it means for our Christian character, what we can learn from it. Before we begin, um, Martin, can I just check? Am I, am, I on a, am I on a leash now? I'm not allowed to go for a wander. It's okay. I'll just, I'll just try and control my legs and I start walking away. I'll cling on to the lectern. That, that's, that's okay. No, it's, no, it's, it's fine. I, just, um, I have a habit of wandering you. I'm sure you've noticed. Um, it's interesting though, isn't it, that that's happened? Because today we are talking about self-control. <laughs> I didn't plan that, honestly. <laughs> but self-control, is, it's, it's in the list of the, of the, the fruit of the Spirit. And it's one of the less obvious ones, which kind of sounds silly, I know, because, of course, we should exercise self-control. But anybody, whether they're Christian or not, um, you know, a, a, a secular individual with no particular faith, would say that self-control is a positive character trait. It doesn't necessarily have a, a spiritual connotation. To be able to control oneself is, is, is right, there aren't an awful lot of references in scripture to self-control. There are some, but a lot of the time they're quite specific. So in Job, Job says in, in, uh, in chapter 31, um, he doesn't talk about self-control as such. He talks about making a covenant with himself, making a promise to himself. Now, if you make a promise to someone, um, the onus is on you to keep it, and you, that, that, that requires an element of self-control, self-discipline, to, to keep that promise. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. Now, we live in a world where the old slogan, sex sells. And if, if there's a, a, drama ser- a raunchy drama series, or period drama even on TV, then you can guarantee that people will talk about the raunchy side of it. You can guarantee that if there's a a scandal involving um, an MP or a celebrity of some sort um, and it involves a physical relationship with someone, there will be an awful lot of interest in it. More so than if if there was a non-physical element to it. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. So Job lived in a world, just like we do, where sex sold. Where there was temptation in the, in the carnal sense. And he, he exercised self-control by, by promising himself, making a covenant. A covenant is a, is, a, is, a, is a godly word, isn't it? We talk about the, the old covenant, the new covenant, the covenant between God and Abraham. Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes. I made this, this it's deeper than a, than, a, than a promise, than a sort of agreement. It's, this is a, a promise before God, not to look lustfully at a girl. So we see Job exercising self-control. Um, elsewhere, in the book of Proverbs, Um, Chapter 4, verse 27. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Again, not a specific mention of self-control, but an instruction. It's not saying, may God not let your foot swerve to the right or to the left. It's saying, you, the onus is on you. Do not swerve 
to the right or the left, keep your foot from evil. So it's a very, it's a very direct instruction. The onus is on us. Now, when we talk about control, when we talk about um, uh, self-control, it's easy for a Christian to say, well, God's in control. God's in control of my life. So I don't believe in self-control. God, I believe in God's control. But of course, what do we mean by self-control? That's the question we've got to ask. Is it putting ourselves at the centre and controlling our lives? Or is there something else to it? You see, this whole notion of, of self, it's very popular at the moment, isn't it? People like to, um, uh, like to have this, this sense of um, uh, well-being and they like to talk about uh, spirituality and, and looking inward at, at what we're like spiritually. It's, it's a quite, a, quite a buzz subject at the moment. When I was a teenager, I've mentioned before, I was in the Air Cadets and there were the three Ds that we were encouraged to upkeep. The first one was drill. Every week, every, well, twice a week, every parade night, we would spend time out on the parade square um, doing drill. So coming to attention, doing your turns, doing your marching up and down, your turns on the march, your salutes, all that sort of stuff. And there was something... At first, people didn't like drill because you're just standing there, almost robotic, responding to commands. Um, and it can be quite monotonous and quite dull. But actually, when you're in a large group on a parade square doing drill, there's something brilliant about it. When there's 100, um, 100 cadets or squaddies or whatever they happen to be lined up and they are marching in step and they are turning and even, no matter how many you've got, when you, when you hear them come to attention, you just hear one click as all the feet go down at exactly the same time. There's something brilliant about that. The teamwork and the timing and the discipline it's fantastic to be part of and also to witness. Drill takes an awful lot of self-control because firstly you have to learn it. You have to learn what each command means and there's an awful lot of commands and different, different responses. You have to learn not only the physical response but the timings of each movement to make sure that, that everybody does everything in exactly the same time. But it takes obedience as well. Because sometimes you'll be thinking, well, I know that we're here, um, we're on the parade square now, we've got to march over to the mess hall. I know the quickest route is to go left out the gate. We've just been given the order to go right. Now, of course, if you were in a car and someone started indicating to go right, you'd say, oh, actually, the quickest way is just, just nip round to the left and you can take that shortcut and you'll be there in no time. But doing drill, you can't do that. First of all, you You'd be told in no uncertain terms that that sort of thing wasn't acceptable. But mainly, you're in, a, you're in this moving group. You, just, you, you go along, you're obedient, you do. You trust that the person giving the orders knows what they're doing. You see, when we talk about self-control, it reminds us of the passage in Romans, do not conform to the ways of the world. It's so easy for us to say, oh, actually... Uh, Lord, you seem to be indicating me to go right here, but I know that if I go left, I can, I can achieve what we want to achieve much quicker. We can sometimes pray even. Lord, please let this happen because that will lead on to this and that consequence, that's, that's, that's what we want to happen. We can, we can second guess the will of God. I've said before that sometimes it's difficult to pray and, and we can make the mistake of, um, of praying for our will and yet we're called to pray, may God's will be done, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the, from the Lord's Prayer. 
Sometimes that's hard. Sometimes God's will is, is something that we can, we can struggle with because God sees the a picture so, um, in so much more detail and yet so much bigger than we can possibly fathom. We cannot, we cannot comprehend the mind of God. So we have to be disciplined. We have to, we have to be like a, like a soldier on a drill square almost, receiving an order and carrying it out. Marching forward, turning when we're told to turn, just responding and reacting, not thinking for ourselves, which is completely countercultural. We're taught, aren't we? Think, be your own person, think for yourself. As Christians, we need to have the self control to say, no, I'm going to take my orders from God. I'm not going to try and make this up as I go along. I'm not going to try and guess what's right and, and, and force my own agenda through, no matter what that means for other people. I'm going to trust in God. I'm going to put myself in his hands. And I'm going to march to his orders. So the first D was, was drill. The second one was, was dress. The appearance, and I've spoken before, I know about, about the uniform and the pride I used to take in, in, in the uniform that I had. Well, as Christians, when we go out, what is it that makes us different? What is it that, that identifies us as a Christian? We don't wear a uniform. I'm not suggesting that we all get branded T-shirts or baseball caps or anything. You know, um, but I am suggesting that when Jesus entered a village or a town, people knew. He, had, he made an immediate impact. Now, partly, of course, you could say he was, he was a, a celebrity of the day. People had heard of him. Some may have even seen him elsewhere and travelled and told people he was coming. But there was something more than that. The way that he conducted himself, the way he presented himself, the way that, under provocation, he was never riled. Instead, he took time, he thought, he considered his response and then he gave it. That set him apart. Nigel Wright, the uh, former principal of Spurgeon, said that a Christian should always be the non-anxious presence in a room. I looked at so many examples of that recently, especially, as I said earlier, looking at our own government. And you think, no wonder, no wonder we can't make a decision when... Parliament seems to conduct itself in a way which is so deplorable. There's no respect, there's no, there's no sense of calm, there's no peace. Every time someone speaks, they're shouted down, they're heckled. The Speaker of the House is constantly having to try and keep a lid on things. And then he gets heckled as well. There's no, there's no authority. There's no non-anxious presence. That's what we should be, to set ourselves aside so people can look at us and see something different. If someone can meet us and walk away and have no idea that we're a Christian, is that right? Of course, sometimes you can have a two-minute conversation. They might stop and ask for directions. I'm not saying that we should force the gospel down people's throats as, as, as soon as we meet them, but I am saying that as people get to know us, at what point do they find out about our faith? Is it a long way along the journey? Or are we completely proud of our faith 
early on to say, my name's Tom, I'm a Christian. I'm a Spurs fan as well, but the most important thing is, I'm a Christian. I don't normally do the Spurs fan bit, that puts people off. (laughs) So the third D is discipline. Self-control is actually, I I find it easier personally to think of it in terms of self-discipline. Because being a Christian, it is a discipline to hold the standards that Christ set for us, to be, um, to, to be, to be accountable to Christ, to be accountable to, to discern his will, to respond to, um, to direction that we receive, spiritual promptings, to read scripture and apply it to our lives. It's easy to read a passage of scripture and think, well, that's great, I like that, yeah. And then forget, forget about it, walk away and live life and, and completely ignore it. But we need to be disciplined if we really believe that God speaks to us through his word. Then we need to read his word and we need to allow it to speak to us as if it was actually Jesus himself standing there speaking to us and then walking with us as we leave that place where we've read the scriptures and go and have the conversations and do our job and, and, and deal with the, the road rage or whatever, whatever situation we find ourselves in. We need to allow the scriptures to talk to us and to have an impact in our lives. It's how God speaks to us. But what we do with it is down to us. And it takes discipline to do that. We've just had January the 1st and uh, New Year's resolutions and things. And um, someone I know started a new diet. It wasn't Joe before people um, assume it was. Um, this year she opted out of that one. Um, but someone I know started a new diet. And they, they were talking about all the things that they're gonna, they can eat, all the things they can't eat. And it just struck me that what we put into ourselves it has an impact on our insides. Um, there was, in fact, there's two people I know who have started diets recently. One of them was a sensible diet. Well, it sounded like a sensible diet. I personally struggle with, that, struggle with the concept that any diet is sensible. Um, but it was one of these where you have fruit and vegetables and you cut down on the, 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 the bad foods and the snacks and all that sort of stuff, and you're, you're healthy. And I thought, yeah, okay, I can see the benefit in that. But there's somebody else I know who's gone on to... Um, a diet which you have 75% of what you eat is fat. So breakfast every morning is, is, is bacon and eggs with cheese and butter and it has to be full fat milk and it has to be a really high percentage of fat. And um, uh, the other 20% is made up of the, the rest of, of normal diet. And it sounds like it's, it's just appalling diet. I said, what on earth are you seeking to achieve? And this person said, well, the way it's, it's a bodybuilder's diet, actually. I said, what? You're, you're Joe, what are they, sumo wrestlers? What, what, what on earth is this? And um, they explained that, actually, the idea is that you, as you eat normally and put on weight, um, your body stores proteins and carbohydrates and that sort of thing as fat. Um, I, I'm aware I've got a GP sitting in the, uh, or a, a former doctor sitting in, a, in the congregation, so don't... don't um, don't take me too uh, to task over this, but um, the way I understand it, your body stores um, everything else as fat. And um, if you have a very, very high fat diet, you're starving yourself of carbohydrates and proteins and that sort of thing. So your body actually um, transfers its own fat reserves back into proteins and carbohydrates. And so by taking in those and those of fat, you're actually burning off other fat. 
I still, whenever I explain that to someone, I still think that sounds like absolute nonsense. But apparently bodybuilders do it to, to encourage their bodies to burn off fat. Now, this person was saying, you look at bodybuilders and they look incredible. Don't, now, I've never thought that. I've always sort of thought it looks a little bit weird, a bit odd. Not, it doesn't do it for me. But they said, that looks really good, doesn't it? And I said, yeah, but you're eating 80% fat. How can that possibly be good for you? And the tension in the conversation was just that the person I was speaking to was convinced that they were, if they looked good on the outside, they were all right on the inside. And I was trying to explain, you're putting this appalling amount of, of bad things into your body. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. It, it won't be doing you any good on the inside. I'm no nutritionalist or dietitian, but I think I'm right in that. We are focused so much on what we look like outwardly, the impression that we give to the world. And it's not just body shape and, and, and muscle definition and stuff. It can be clothing, it can be cars, it can be houses, it can be jobs, it can be titles, it can be heritage, it can be education, it can be anything. We're so focused on our appearance to the world that often we don't worry about the damage we're doing to ourselves internally. We can be spiritually rotten and yet outwardly appealing. What we put in, we have to have self-control. We have to, we have to recognise what is good for us and what is not. We have to be able to limit the impact that the world has upon us and make sure that actually, conversely, we have an impact on the world because we are different. Rather than us bearing a hallmark of the world around us, the world around us should bear the hallmark of Christ because that is the impact that we have. When Jesus was baptised, there was this wonderful moment when, when we're told the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And he prayed and, and there was this wonderful heavenly moment. And what, what happened immediately after that? He went off into the desert. Forty days and forty nights and he was tempted he had the temptations from Satan. Now Jesus could have, he could have succumbed to those temptations. He could have seen that as a, a challenge from Satan, but he had self-control. He didn't fight the battle. He didn't say, of course I can turn that into bread. Yeah, of course I can. Of course I can jump off the temple. Yeah, go on now. Yeah, all right. You don't believe me? I'll do it. He didn't rise to the challenge. Instead, he stuck steadfastly to what he knew was right under God. We can be, we can be blinded by the world around us. We can be challenged. We can rise to every challenge. But God doesn't call us to rise to every challenge. We have to pick our battles. We have to fight for him, not for ourselves. Our self-control is choosing to follow God. We have that choice. We're not robotic. We're not, we're, not made, we're not made purely to follow him. We can choose to or we can choose not to. As Christians, we choose to follow God. That is the ultimate exercise of self-control. That is showing discipline. When I was at school, there was a kid in my year. He was only short, but he was a, he, he was a karate enthusiast. and he was, uh, he was black belt karate. and He used to go to national competitions and even international competitions. He was, he was very, very good. But because he was short, he was never 
there was always a little bit of doubt cast over his abilities. And um, he would often get provoked because, you know, bigger kids would think, if I, can, if I can pick a fight with Karate Kid and deck him, then it's going to lift my kudos. And so he was often provoked and, and he had a bit, he, 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 was, he was all right, but he had a bit of a rough time of it. And especially on a football pitch, he would often be the victim of, you know, bad challenges and, uh, and he'd be knocked about a bit. And one day someone said to him, how good are you really? And he didn't respond, he just ignored them because he'd get it all the time. He said, no, come on, how good are you? And they grabbed his shoulder and said, come on, how good are you? And I won't try and demonstrate it because I'm not sure, I'm not sure my legs would take it and I'm not sure my trousers would take it. It could be quite embarrassing. But in, he, he felt his hand on his shoulder and eventually he lost, he lost his temper. And in one movement, he grabbed this person's arm, pulled it down and threw a kick that went about that high and he stopped with his foot about an inch. And this, his foot was moving fast. I thought he was going to take his head off. But he stopped with his foot about an inch from this guy's nose. And he held that pose, completely still, balanced, poised. And then slowly, he let go of the guy's arm. He lowered his leg. He just looked him in the eye and said, that's how good I am. And walked away. There was no violence. There was a demonstration. Do you want to mess with me? I can do you any time I like. But I've been trained. I've been taught that this is not something that you practice outside of the safe environment of the karate club. It's something that you only use at that time and place. He didn't rise to provocation. He could have done at any time. He could have taken any one of those kids, but he never did. We, as Christians, we might not be experts at karate. In fact, I suspect that the majority of us aren't. But we have the power of God at our fingertips. God is in control. God is the one who can move mountains. God can change lives. God can do amazing things. God can, he turned water into wine. He walked on the water. Jesus did these things because God gave him the power to do them. God can give us the power as well. We need to have the self-discipline to submit to him, to say to the world, no, I'm not going to conform. I'm going to conform to God. I'm going to follow his ways. I'm going to keep his decrees. I'm going to keep the commands that Jesus identified. I'm going to love my God. I'm going to love my neighbour. I'm going to do my best to make sure that this world is a better place when I leave it than it was when I entered it. We can be like Job. We can, we can make covenants with ourselves and with God. We can say, I am not going to whatever it may be. For Job, it was look lustfully at a woman. It might be, I'm not going to want money. I'm not going to seek status. I'm not going to, to put my self-interest above your interest, Lord. We can put God first. Self-control as a fruit of the Spirit, as, a, as an element of our Christian character. It should be that we are, we are peaceful. We, 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 we emit God's peace. We emit God's grace. We emit God's mercy. We admit all the things that we recognise in God, we practice them ourselves. 
Of course, there are going to be times when we don't get it right. But that's where God gives us forgiveness through His grace. He loves the world. He loves us. He loves you, every single one of us. He wants us to follow Him. He wants us to show the self control, to show that discipline to defend ourselves with his word but also not to be afraid of anything the world throws at us because God is greater. God's strength knows no limits. God's love for us knows no end. We are his people. We have the choice. We can either accept what he's done for us. We can show self-control in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we apply the scriptures to our daily existence. Or we can show no self-control. We can let the world dictate who we are, what we do. We can let the world tell us what we need and what we want. We can let people make an impression upon us rather than allowing God to. In Proverbs 25 it says, Like a city whose walls are broken down, is a man who lacks self-control. There's nothing, there's nothing uh, less attractive in somebody than a lack of self-control. They're unpredictable. They're prone to lashing out and temper tantrums. You don't know where you stand with them. You don't know who you're going to meet from one moment to the next. People are on edge when they're around them because they don't know how they're going to react to what is said or what is done. As Christians, people should always know how we're going to respond. People should always know what our heart is because God doesn't change and we seek, we seek to mimic the heart of God. So our challenge for this week is, is just that, is to allow ourselves to be challenged when we read scripture, not just in the there and then, but to take it with us and to... to to apply it to the situations we find ourselves in, in the day that, that, we, that we have before us. To show that self-control, to control ourselves, to take command of ourself. To say, this is my life, I can choose what to do with it. God's given me that choice and I choose to submit to him. Drill, dress, discipline, diet. The four D's that you might not always expect to take away from a Sunday morning service, but somehow I thought when we're talking about the theme of self-control, they make perfect sense. I'd just like to read, to close, the full passage from the end of Proverbs 4. Listen to the way that this is an instruction to us. This is not us passing the responsibility on to God. We are accountable for the way that we live our lives. It says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Put away perversity from your mouth. 
Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or the left. Keep your foot from evil. Let's ensure this week, wherever we find ourselves, whatever situations we're confronted with, that we act in a way that honours God, in a way that pleases him, and in a way that others notice, marks us out as different to the world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, when we think of your son in the garden of Gethsemane, on his knees, in prayer, crying out to you, seeking an alternative to the cross and yet submitting himself to your will and accepting that he would always follow it. We see faith, we see obedience, we see discipline, we see brutal honesty, we see the human side of our Saviour. And Father, we see an unimaginable level of self-control. Jesus could have run away that night. He could have given in to the ways of the world, but he didn't. He followed the mission that you had given him. He suffered and endured everything that was thrown at him. He took the humiliation, the beatings, the floggings, the exhaustion, the injustice, and ultimately he took the crucifixion on the cross because he knew that was your will. That was the cup of suffering that you had given to him. And so, Father, we pray that you will help us to accept when we are faced with a cup of suffering, to accept when, when we cry out to you asking for an alternative, Lord, give us the humility to acknowledge that actually the most important thing is that your will be done. Father, help us to have the discipline of, of Job to identify areas of weakness in our lives and to make a covenant promise to change our ways. Help us to be honest, Lord, with ourselves. Help us to take true control of our lives by claiming you, by putting our faith and our hope and our joy and our love in you. You're a God of grace and mercy. Father, help us to be that non-anxious presence. Help us to be the one that stands out from the crowd. Help us to be the one that doesn't get involved in the, in the nitpicking and the, the mudslinging, but instead the one that brings calm and reason to a situation. Ultimately, Lord, help us to bear fruit in our spirit. Fruit that you can use 
fruit that nourishes us, but also that we can then use to plant seeds in others, to bring others to you. Father, we pray these things in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.